I don't want a pickle. pickle. I don't want a pickle. Just, Just want to ride, ride my motor pickle. pickle. Wow. I kind of want a pickle too, though. <laughs> that was the worst intro ever. You guys ever okay. go on a long ride Everybody? and those pickles at the gas station and they're amazing? <laughs> All right, so. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Noco Moto Podcast, episode number one hundred and eleven. Wow, we have a crew today, don't we? I'm your host, Moto G Pete, coming to you from Moto One Podcast Network Studio Headquarters, recording Suite A, and everybody else is. Uh, excuse in... me, sir. <laughs> no, you're that... in the Northern Satellite Office. That's true. Well, I am in the Northern Satellite Office. That's true. That was a lie. But I am in Swiggy's seat. Did you guys know that Swiggy's seat has a built-in vibrator? Oh, damn. <laughs> anyway, so up. Swiggy's actually in Suite A. That's right. I, I'm in Remote Studio North, and we also have with us Junkie and Wiggins of Creative Writing, who are in Nokomoto Podcast Studios West. Say hello. That's right. And uh, I am in the secret bunker, and Wiggins is Corona safe right now. He's he's hidden in a secret location where we can't disclose. But I'll tell you this: he is uh, being held under lock and key so that COVID nineteen doesn't get his yeah, claws. Don't be coming by trying to cough on me. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get a little bit of a table of contents on here. Um, first, let's see. We'll kind of go around in a circle. Do a quick thing of. You know what kind of bike stuff people have been up to lately because i feel like we just never talk about what we're doing bike wise and sometimes people like to hear that and then after that we'll jump into best worst bike okay who's moving their microphone around i am sorry about that okay this is why you need a mute button anyway no editing on this one. I'm, I don't give a fuck. So after <laughs> that, we're going to do bikes that we've done a 180 switch on. I really like that. And then if we have enough time after that, we'll do a round of made up motorcycle because it's been months since we've done it. And I think that'll make a pretty good show. So, um, you know, we've had a bit of a run of not talking about coronavirus. So I'm going to break that down because like every other show, I thought, well, you know what? Let's just, you know, get get on that treadmill with everyone else and do our breakdown of, you know, the top five things to do whilst you're stuck, you know, as a motorcyclist, you know, during the the the, the lockdown per se, right? So I thought, number one, I think the best thing you can do is just find a girl who's like a perfect 10 and fuck her. <laughs> okay. You know? <laughs> i really highly re if you've never fucked a perfect 10 i really recommend it and you know some people are like well what peep i'm into fucking dudes you know what stop being so close-minded give it a try <laughs> right yeah and you might say like well you know going out and finding a girl to fuck that's not really like you know very social distancing well that's the genius part after you find her you know and obviously get her to consent to sexual relations with you i'm um, not gonna lie then she's the, gonna have to stay at your place so there'll out just of the be four more of us that. getting someone to consent that's a perfect 10 slam hey, picking for us i'm I just mean, saying if you never of, have a group of two, we don't all add up to be 10 i know <laughs> I, hey, I'm not talking about like what's realistic. I'm talking oh, about okay. what I recommend. <laughs> All right. Uh, number two, uh, drugs. You know what? 
get get on the the dark web, do some searching around. You'll get a mail to your house. All your ordinary stuff, it's going to seem new again. And then my number three through uh, five is, you know, the perfect tens. Everyone's going to run out for those real quick. So maybe just shoot for a nine, eight or a seven before they all dry up as well. And that's pretty much MotoGP's top 10, uh, five list of things to do while you're stuck inside. Yeah. I would I also like point the- out that it's, the, you've probably got at minimum like three months until anyone can feasibly <laughs> drug test you. So even if you're working <laughs> remotely, like, yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't, I don't know what state you guys are in, but for us, I mean, drugs are pretty well legal, so we're good. Well, Colorado. Well, it doesn't we really matter. Yeah. Oh, you guys in Colorado? Yeah. At this point, it's kind of an unenforceable crime, <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything's legal now, baby. Everything. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to that is I was really proud of myself today. Uh, a bunch more parts for the Goldwing came in. And today I took the really, not super cheap, but pretty cheap seat strap kit that I got for the, the Goldwing and uh, managed to make a riveter out of my vice and bits out of my chain tool, the PBR chain chain tool that i highly recommend everyone buys because it really has a million and one uses if you want to get creative with it and i just had a lovely day riding the bike around town just doing things that i'm probably not supposed to be doing like going to the hardware store and and all that but you know what yeah i i and just buy, buying drugs and looking for perfect 10 standing on the street corner oh well that's every day really since i'm divorced <laughs> but uh <laughs> Right. Yeah. Hey, I'd like to say that's a great suggestion. I'd like to one up you there. Fuck your motorcycle. No one's going to know if you're in quarantine and you never have to tell anybody. If you're a big mouth and you can't keep it to yourself, then that's your problem. But yeah, fuck your motorcycle. Huh? You can edit that out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess we're so. probably going to leave it in, though. Cut, cut a hole in the seat and just, you know, go to town. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, put some WD 40 in there, too. But okay, yeah. all right. Uh, any of the other guys do like motorcycly things this week today? I've been I not shit motorcycle related. Not not today, <laughs> but uh, I have been working on some fiberglass projects, and I'm getting ready to um, start drawing up my Bosu build. Um, I've got ideas roaming around my head, but I'm getting ready to like actually start putting them into uh, the physical world that we live in. So I'm getting ready to throw down, man. Nice. I want to see pictures soon. Of the bike? Yeah. Of me fucking my motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'll tell you what I've been doing during quarantine. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The show notes are about to get a lot more interesting. Yes. All right. So uh, I guess we don't have any more then. We can just get into best worst bike in the world this week, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So the uh, deal here is if you haven't heard the show before, each week, me and Swiggy each pick two different motorcycles to be the best and the worst bike in the world this week. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's a surprise. Now, some people don't really enjoy 
the bikes that we've chosen, though most people do. If you're one of those that don't enjoy the choices and don't enjoy the opinions, first know that you're in the minority. And what you don't want to be called is poopy pants because there's no defense for it, right? <laughs> there's just no way. Dude, I'm not poopy pants. You're totally poopy pants, right? So don't be that guy. Right. Just send an email to contact at nokomotopodcast.com and let the feelings flow out of you in a creative, helpful, nurturing way. Right. I don't know what that really means. It just sounds like something that your high school guidance counselor would say to you. So just like, I don't know. Oh, I thought I had one of those things. And yet again, I don't. So whatever. Just remember, there's no crying in motorcycles. And Swiggy, you have worst bike in the world this week, correct? I do. All right. Are you ready to reveal it? I am so ready. Okay. See how the sound effects work. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The 1975... Moto Guzzi V1000 Convert. I can hear I can hear people's brains melting and fingers on keyboards right now, figuring out what the hell is the 1975 Moto Guzzi V1000 Convert. This one is a doozy, and it's the only V1000 Convert, right? So it uh, just looks like a Le Mans to me. You are very close. Okay, so in 1977, Honda came out with possibly one of the worst ideas in all of motorcycling in the CB750A Honda-matic. But Honda was not the first one to the punch with an automatic motorcycle. Moto Guzzi beat them by two years with the V1000 Convert. Oh, no. Yes. So this is a essentially a Moto Guzzi uh, Le Mans, but it's the European version with the engine bumped up from 850 cc's to 1,000 cc's, and they added a torque converter to it. To make no. it <laughs> so <laughs> very similar to the Honda Matic, it's got two gears, uh, it's still shaft drive, <laughs> and they yeah, they boarded out the extra 150 cc's and detuned the motor for better um bottom end torque. So, this 550 pound dry motorcycle. With 61 horsepower, or make 61 horsepower just to make the whole system uh, play nice with the torque converter. Yeah, this thing looks terrible. Now you would think, well, okay, it's probably got some convenience. Wait, wait, hold on. Back up there. I, I, uh, you said they had to detune it to make 60 horsepower to play nice with the torque converter. To No, to increase the bottom end torque. Oh, well, um, okay. They, they had to retune it for, for, okay. So did they change the stroke on it? It, yeah. Uh, yeah. It is a longer stroke. Uh, actually, okay. no, it's, it's slightly under square still. 
Right, but it has a longer stroke than the regular Le Mans. Yeah. Hmm. This is... Okay, yeah. keep going. So you would think, okay, well, it's automatic. So, you know, there's some conveniences. Like you probably, you know, you don't have to use... Um, you don't have to manually shift between the first and second gear. Uh, except that you do have to manually shift between what? the first and the second gear. And then you think, well, at least it might be like a Honda-matic where you don't have a clutch and you don't have to use the clutch to shift between gears. Except, um, you have a clutch. except that you do have a clutch and you do have to shift between the gears. What? <laughs> yeah. So, What's going on? So the whole reason that this bike exists... Oh, by the way, there's also no neutral. So you have to pull the clutch in to start the bike or it'll yeah. start. Uh, yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so in essence the whole concept with this bike was that it was purely meant to be used as a police motorcycle and they wanted the torque converter so that you could um basically just so that you could um, idle the bike very slowly and just move on idle without the bike stalling and without burning up a clutch. Because rather than just put a wet clutch in this bike, it's still a dry clutch. And they're using the torque converter so that the police can use this in um, parades and on escorts and basically just not burn out a clutch. That's the only purpose of this motorcycle. Okay, hold on. So... Uh all right so they're trying to solve a problem that has not been an issue in any other police motorcycles ever in history <laughs> yeah it's italian <laughs> that means it's I, one big problem to start with now i there's one other thing about this that really sticks out to me so in a lot of bikes towards the late 70s, they were getting rid of the chrome rear fender and they were putting on ducktails, right? Yep. But, you know, the ducktails, I, I used to not like them. Like the, the back of like the, the Z1, for example, I used to be like, what is this bullshit, right? And, and then a few motorcycles like like this one had a sort of, combination of a rear fender and an actual like brake light tailpiece coming out of the back but this one instead of like a ducktail has what looks like to be just a rake a rectangular piece of plastic sitting on top of the back fender a am i correct there yeah, certain years for sure. Uh, depends on what year I look at, but yeah, some of them do just have like, like uh, it's not even styled. It's just a rectangular block of plastic. Yeah. Well, I believe the reason for that is um, there are on. different is that there are different <laughs> seats that go on this bike, and I think part of the police version is to have a top box on it or to have a separate rear seat. So it's a bit of a modular design because this is this bike does come with a factory police kit. Gosh. Yeah, this is uh, terrible. I see the ducktail one that you're talking about. Yeah, what the what the actual fuck? Like this is awful. 
It really is. So, because if I remember correctly, a Moto Guzzi Le Mans was good for about like 81 horsepower, just the, the regular one, right? Uh, yeah, and then Somewhere the later models... 70s, low 80s? Yeah, and the, I think the, there are some later models that went up to almost 100 horsepower. Like, it was a serious machine for the time. Yeah, but... it was a race-winning bike. It was It was wonderful. It's a legend, but the oh, okay. Well, so, you know, basically take what went from take the um the last um single overhead cam CB750 and compare it to the CB750A. It's the same story because the compression ratio went way down. Um, like this is a nine point two to one. I think like the Honda Matic is like an eight point six to one. For some reason, like just. As part of um, retuning them, like the compression just goes way down. I wonder if it has to do with the fact because you have to spool it up to get the, you know what I'm saying, to get the transmission to get up to where it's going to start moving. So I don't know. I don't know what that would have to do with anything, but I just, I wonder if that has something to do with it to where they didn't want the motor to, when it did finally engage, you did pop a, a dank hoolie. Or do a burnout or something. Well, it's kind of the situation where um, it's in that perfect window of not being torquey enough to just start like an automatic car where Mm -hmm. you can just have it in park or have the breakdown and it can start up just fine and it can idle just um, on the torque converter like at a full stop. But it's also not torquey enough to really get it going off the line very well. So it sits in that perfect area of not not strong enough, but then also too unreliable. Like it's it fails in both directions there. Now, the so, interesting thing on, is gotta... after they after they added the torque converter and that ended up being the only thing I wonder if this if they didn't just go back if they just didn't have time to go back and redesign everything uh because since you still have to shift for the gears and you still need the clutch there's really no reason for this bike to only have two gears it doesn't make sense anymore yeah, it really doesn't make sense that it has to have a torque converter either. Like that's a weird that's a weird flex. <laughs> well, no, the torque converter for the um for the for the original goal of having this be able to basically, you know, um move under move at like below idle RPMs essentially or not have 100% of power at idle while moving so that you didn't have to slip the clutch. That makes sense. But, you know, the two-gear, like, double-clutch Honda-matic style makes sense if it's going to be a fairly automatic bike where you at least don't have to use the clutch to shift. But once you have to use the clutch to shift, and you have to use the clutch to start, and you still have to manually shift... So you basically just don't use the clutch to idle. Yes. That's the only thing you don't use the clutch for. That's like a semi-automatic. Now yeah. you're you can you can I think uh, that's still generous. Gear, in first gear on idle, presumably you can still put your feet down and overcome the the torque converter. Just hold it down, right? Yeah. Okay. 
It's funny that they work so hard to get these things out of the system too. And nowadays, that's what people with DCTs complain about. <laughs> they so, so the whole purpose of just being able to do that, I don't think it's that they could just have it idle and move easily in first gear. I think it's that they wanted to sell it to the cops that they didn't have to sit there and hold the clutch in when they were stopped. No, but they do have to because but there's no neutral. There's no neutral. No, 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 no. But it, it so you either you have no, at, if, if at the bike RPM, you can you can just hold the bike still with your legs. Uh, potentially, but that still doesn't make any yeah. sense because you could just have neutral. Well, right, but the the difference is is that for the police, they 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 want to be able to just take off. You know, should something happen because of their training or their procedures, right? The idea is they never want to be the police don't like to sit at lights or in a position where they're not in gear. Well, I mean, for, the best thing for the police, at least in the States, if they don't want to sit at a light, they just flip their fucking lights on and run through it illegally anyway. Well, yeah. Well, and these are Italian cops, so they'll run through the light while smoking as well. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. The, <laughs> drinking some wine. But I think the whole thing, I think the whole reason for the torque converter, I think the whole reason for everything is that they could give a bike to the police where they go, check it out. When you're stopped, you're in gear, don't have to hold the clutch in. And they were like, whoa. I bet that's it. I bet that's the entire reason for it. Yeah, that's what I, I was I feel like a neutral would have accomplished that a lot better. That's right, what the torque converters for, You don't have though. to be neutral. You can just be sitting there. Look at this. You're just sitting there. You're not holding the clutch in. The engine's running. And look at this. You can just pull the throttle and go. Yeah. And and, and I bet the police were like, oh, that's amazing. Because, you know, they're, you know, you think late 70s Italian, tra you know, European traffic. It makes a lot of sense that a lot of the times they would just be in traffic, stopped, and then have to run. Oh, just mean with the, you mean, you mean just with like your foot on the rear brake or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, guess yeah, you could do yeah. that. And then yeah, you just could do that. take off. Right. Just like I an automatic car. Right. They're just on the corner with their bike and then boom, they're gone. No putting it in gear, no anything, just go. Especially if you got a smoke in one hand and a latte in the other, you got to give up one of them, you know, to right. take off. You don't have to give up both, though, because you don't yeah, have to work maybe, a clutch. Maybe it wasn't even like you don't have to pull the clutch in. Maybe it's like you can be chasing bad guys and smoking. <laughs> but yeah. that, that really seems to be the only advantage and in order to accomplish that there were many many compromises made along the way <laughs> now check this out there's one other thing i've noticed about this because at first i said oh it kind of looks like a le mans and I was really only looking at the the frame, the seat, the seat hoop, and the engine and that, the, the wheels. But the, there was something odd about the general look of the bike. And first of all, you know, Gucci is just famous for weird bodywork. So I don't know what these little winglets are about, but okay, I'm a, I'm a fan, sure. Um, but I did notice... And I have not seen this anywhere else except for one other Moto Guzzi bike. This has the tank off of the V9 Roamer. Hmm. Well, that awful tank that cuts into your legs. 
Oh, you're right. It does. I know it's easy to miss. And then if you get, if you see one in the right kind of light, it reflects that weird crease around the side of the tank. And uh, someone's going to correct us and point out like 87 different Moto Guzzi's that had this tank, but I've only ever seen this on the V9 Roamer before. Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously not the same tank, but there are definitely there, some of these models very close. It's just that they've got that. It's the tank that ha- the tank just has that crease that goes right across your thighs if you try to squeeze it with your knees. But if you're a Moto Guzzi and you're trying to bring bring back a classic look for your basic line of motorcycles, which was a largely smart move for them to do the V7 and V9, why pick this piece of garbage? Am I wrong in seeing, too, that some models had a peg instead of a footboard, but they still had a heel-toe shift? Um... Uh... Uh, which one? I'm not sure what you're looking at, but uh, oh, I see what you're. I see it. Yeah. Oh, you mean a peg with a heel toe shift? Yeah, I mean, it looks like it was just a common mod for the police uh, versions, just to have a heel toe rocker back and forth for the two gears. You know, like on the uh, the CB900 and the CB1000s that we had how there was the the rocker back and forth for the high and low front sprocket. Yeah. It's like this bike just has that for a gear shift. So this is just the two gears. Instead of doing a regular up-down, there's a heel-toe rocker piece that looks like it was a common mod because it was like, yeah, just you press forwards for that gear and backwards for this gear, and there's no more learning it than that because <laughs> it's only got two gears. Yeah, this thing looks terribly overcomplicated. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree <laughs> with you. <laughs> what a find. Like I, I said a few episodes ago, like if anyone's ever afraid that we're going to run out of material for this show, like we haven't scratched the surface of just <laughs> useless bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the great thing is that everybody's got one. Like, I think people like to romanticize Moto Guzzi and, and, you know, a lot of the Italian brands, and they forget the 70s, man. Yeah. I mean, I am a big Moto Guzzi fan. I love a ton of the stuff they've done. But that's not to say that they haven't got put out some real whoppers. Oh, yeah. Like, I would love to have a V7 just for doing little things in town, you know? I, I think it's it's such a... It's such a a charming, romantic, and uh, and cool little bike, and it does exactly what it's supposed to do, which is, you know, have just enough power to kind of do everything if you really want to, but it's really just for kind of being being seen on, right? And and it's great, and I love it, and it's it's the Italian uh, Harley Sportster is what it is, and it does it beautifully, but I'm not gonna pretend that it's a perfect brand as much as i love the norge as well it's it's italian and therefore deeply flawed like by definition (laughs) yeah all right i think we uh are we ready to move on yeah okay so yeah let's see here i have worst bike oh sorry i have best bike in the world this week so and the best bike in the world this week is 
Oh, hold on. It is the Harley Davidson. Hold on. Let me bring up a picture for myself oh, here. You're already hurting my ears if it's the best bike in the world. Yeah, you, this is really going to knock your fucking socks off. The Harley Davidson Street 750. <laughs> wow. Whoa. I mean, Hang on. Maybe well, for not the regular Street numbers. 750. What's the uh, the name of the uh, the bumped up version? The Street, the street Rod. Rod. The Street Rod. Well, is it the Street Rod 750 that they call yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, because there was the Street Rod which was a V-Rod back, you know, like in 2012. You're right. It is too. the Street, yes, the Street Rod 750. Just wanted to make sure oh, we got okay. that straight. So not the regular Street 750, the Street Rod 750 and let me give you my reasons now this bike is not setting the world on fire but we're talking about a bike that comes in at about i want to say 10 10 and a half thousand dollars somewhere in there uh i'm looking online right now and it starts at eight six ninety nine that's not the regular 750 Okay. That's a street rod. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. So eight, six, seven, fifty. Right. So under nine grand, in fact. We're looking at what is it? About almost seven uh, about like sixty horsepower. I think that's what it is. It's hard to know with Harley's. Like the reports are all over the place. Let's see here. Harley Davidson. Sorry. I had all these specs brought up, but then we had all our problems trying to connect to this. But oh shit, this is a a, Har- a, uh, a Harley Davidson making 12 to 1 compression. Right. Well, and I'll get to that in a moment. It is water cooled. Right. So this is less than $9,000 from Harley Davidson. And you get, uh, um, it is still a two valve motor, but it is water. No, 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 no. These are four valves. Oh, is it four uh, valve? Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it is four valve, of course. It is a uh, four, four valve, but it's a single overhead cam. The, uh, right. Um, it is, well, like you said, water cooled. It is pretty powerful for the displacement. It's kind of up to the the competition standards. There, it is. It is a heavy bike. It does make somewhere in like the mid to high forties in torque. But did you know? that the street rod 750 motor is a v rod motor at half the displacement uh wasn't the v rod at actual dual overhead cam i don't believe so i believe this is the v rod motor at half i'll be the right displacement. back you guys keep talking i'll and find I, out i actually you. think it was a total redesign i don't think it was really based on the v rod at all i have not had a v rod apart but i have had a street 750 motor apart and they're kind of shitty. Well, I don't know. So, although so for, well, can, well, let's because of the way thing. they're designed, you can the exhaust comes out the right, and if you want to be all flat tracky, you can flip the heads around um, with little to I mean, not no work, but little work. You can literally pull the heads off and flip them around because of the the cam chains are on opposite sides of the motor. It's kind of a weird little hokey thing, but. Yeah, so it's a, it's a weird motor to have. It over. doesn't need to be a perfect motor. What For it sure. is, is an offering from Harley Davidson that gives you much, much, much more modern things than Harley traditionally does 
with like the XL line, the Sportsters, for example. Yeah. And a lot of people hate this bike and will find any reason to dog on it because it's not made in America at all. It's completely well, outsourced. We Harley doesn't even pretend. Were... Well, when they first released them, they actually said all the 750s were going to be made in the States. And right. the 500s were going to be produced they've been, out of the country. Yeah, they've been called on their bullshit. And it's now just in the open that these are completely made overseas. Yeah, I believe uh, and, India, right? Because uh, yes. that's, where, that's where the most of them are sold. And what you also have to remember about that bike that all the haters and I own a regular 750, although I need to sell it. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of the bike. I feel like they, they came short, but what you do have to always remember about that bike is that bike was never designed to be, they knew they were going to sell it in the United States, but it wasn't designed to be sold in the United States. That bike was a hundred percent designed for the Indian market. And yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is a, a rare offering from Harley, which is a world model. Exactly. Right. You just nailed it there, Swigs. This is a Harley world model. This is actually the closest Harley has yet come to what the the untapped markets of theirs actually want. It is not the perfect thing yet, but it is thus far the closest Harley Davidson has come to that that breakout star model that like that Europe wants that Japan wants that everybody wants now it took me a minute to realize what it is and once i say this you're never going to be able to see anything else except honda nighthawk look mm. at the way the exhaust sweeps up look at the tail section look at the displacement look at the horsepower and torque numbers it's a honda nighthawk 650 basically well i was looking at the weight the displacement and the torque and this actually more screams to me uh moto guzzi v7 uh it's a bit more powerful but yeah it's not far off that uh the now this should have already have been perfected styling wise and other ways to just completely replace the sportster line. And they'll probably do something like that in the next few years. Who knows exactly what it'll be, but Supposedly, it's going to be a variation of this motor. I can almost guarantee you. Supposedly they were going to drop the sportster last year. I think. Um, I don't think they're going to drop it. I think they're going to probably revamp it and like make it their new, sport line or like the new water-cooled engine line but i don't think they're gonna so, drop sportsters i don't think I they're feel... gonna revamp it because they have the street fighter and the adv bike and i think but i also don't think those are gonna replace the sportster i think they want to replace the sportster with it but what something else we have to remember about harley and harley customers is that harley customers really aren't your typical motorcycle customers people going and buying a harley they really don't give a shit about horsepower they don't give a shit about torque they don't give a shit about the weight they obviously don't give a shit about any of it right they really don't care about any of those they're buying a harley because it's a harley one of the reasons the v-rod was unsuccessful because we all know the v-rod was actually a pretty good bike i mean it was ugly as fuck and they never did anything cool with that motor like put it in a bagger or give it to eric buell or anything like that but the v-rod was their first attempt at like that world bike and 
why did it fail? Did it fail because the bike sucked or did it fail because Harley customers don't want that? Yeah. Ironically, it kept them on top of the game in drag racing in the destroyer. And like, not really though, because that bike is not a V rod. It has a V rod sticker on it. Just like the current one says street rod. And it's not, it's a bike. It's a motor that you can't even purchase, even though it's a pro stock class and you're supposed to be able to. Yeah, I do. Hundred percent advance and high. I remember when it first came out for like one year. I only remember seeing it for one year. You could actually buy the V Rod Destroyer. It was like fifty grand. You could, and that bike, yeah, that bike's actually like a rare collector's thing now. But that wasn't the bike winning drag racing. That might have won some like street classes, but it's not the pro stock bike that we think of when we think of winning drag racing. No. Well, that bike's based on a V-Rod motor is what I was getting at. Like The right? Destroyer was, water... it was. The Destroyer yeah. was actually, I mean, it was a wide rear tire, and I don't believe they were street legal, but so, they were stockish frame and, and V-Rod. And motor. V-Rod, like, water-cooled. It was definitely right. water-cooled because that's how they, you know, were able yeah. to compete. So well, I don't feel like, to go back and keep a semi on topic, um, I don't think, well, actually, no, I'm just taking us off topic in a different direction. So, um... I don't think the 883 can actually go away and just be replaced by the Street Rod 750. Oh, it because totally this, can. Well, it could, except that in at least in the U.S. market, they're not even comparable bikes, though. Like they're uh, not even in the same class. They don't have the same customer base. To people like us, it seems that way. But Harley, yeah, but people like you trying don't Harleys, to. Though. Harley's big trick is that they have to attract a whole new customer base whilst convincing their investors that they're still sticking to their roots. Because every time Harley tries to do something new, the investors freak out before they get to try it long enough to see if it'll work. Right. Who do you think's worse? I mean, the riders the V-Rod or was the... around for 10 years. So how many years do you think it would take for it to work? Yeah, it was around for 10 years when Harley was super successful anyway, so they could afford to just do frivolous things. Right, but that's what I mean like with that comment, though. So what do you mean by they don't give it enough time to, to work because that bike was around for 10 years? So it was because given time to work. Be, uh, they just fired their CEO because the, the live wire is perceived to be a failure already. And the uh, and like but the it, outgoing CEO is like, you haven't even given us enough time to let all of this set in. Well, and the live wire is a totally new topic and subject of, of Harley. Right. I mean, you're, but the you investors are freaking the, out because they're like, oh, my God, this isn't working immediately. And they're like, well, yeah, you know, branding takes fucking time. Well, and I mean, with the live wire, they're cutting edge that no other major company is even touching right now. So not only are they cutting edge for what Harley would do, they're cutting edge for the industry with the live. Wire. Right. I, I'm like, totally agreeing a, with you. I'm yeah. absolutely 100 percent agreeing. Well, with I'm you. just saying you can't compare the street and the Sportster. They're not similar models. Aha. Uh-huh. I do want to point something out. They're not out, a though. similar customer base. So they're similar. They're, they're not. They are similar bikes to the uninitiated. To the buyers that Harley is trying to attract, they are similar bikes. And And have you have you seen have you seen Harley Davidson's new website for 2020? Because they don't break the Sportster and the Street out separately anymore. In the street, they just have the street category, the cruiser category, and the touring category now. They took all their families that they used to have. They used to have street, sportster, soft tail, dyno when they had dynas, uh, touring, CVO. Now they just have street, 
cruiser, touring, and trike. Well, and electric, but they're they've combined stuff together. So they kind of are wrapping the sportsters in with the streets now when you go to their website. And I think that it's part of exactly. the whole exactly. Yeah. So here so, we go. Okay, let me let me lay this out. So Wiggins, you're actually yeah. unqualified here because you know too much. Okay. <laughs> yes. And yes. I, I will say so, from an from an inside marketing it was, I think, in 2018 when they were releasing the 19s or 20s. Um, supposedly, they were dropping the Sportster line altogether, and they have not right. done that yet. So, so here's the pretty heavy rumors with deep marketing at Harley. Right. So, so here, let me lay out kind of the perception of those smaller displacement bikes from the layman's perspective and the marketing perspective, which is the street bikes the, the 500 and the 750 are girls bikes and the 883 sportster is the unofficial girls bike it's well, the girls bike that's not a girls bike i mean sportsters in general for years have been called the girls bike right i mean even so, the 1200s i mean it, it's you know right so, but if you look at these bikes in terms of in terms of horsepower and weight and all the performance and everything yeah. it's it's clear that the street rod 750 is all around probably a better buy than the 83 Sportster. And it's Absolutely. kind it's kind of a what's the word? It's it's a um it's an obsolete model. But and- just on the displacement numbers, people image-wise are still gonna go for the 883. Yeah. So uh, I feel like they could do it, but they have to do a displacement bump on the street rod and it could be like an 840 that they call a 900 or something silly like that but that's what they got to do because it's purely on the marketing for for the layman so and i I feel like the street rod was kind of lackluster performance anyway um again if you're comparing it to a 750 or sorry a 650 or something like it wasn't bad but it was so damn heavy it it was kind of I don't know. They tried to get it. Like you said, with marketing, they tried to not necessarily market it as a girl. Okay. Wiggins, Wiggins. that wrote it. Like Swiggy said, you know too much. (laughs) What you have to understand is that if you put this motorcycle next to an 883 Sportster, 17 year olds like this bike better. It's going to, yeah, it's going to perform better and stuff for sure. It's going to I would like better in sales anyway. That's all that matters. What we're talking about is a possible reimagining of Harley Davidson. While everyone that knows anything about motorcycles is like, this isn't that great. Like, would I ever buy one of these? No, absolutely not. Do I want one of these? Does this light a fire in me? absolutely yeah, not, not but whilst everyone else is looking towards the bronx i mean i definitely am i would love to have i would love to swap out Dude, the superhawk for the bronx oh if my the god bronx puts out the numbers compared to the jet bikes if it even closely right. compares to the super duke it'll be amazing. we're on tangent number four right. so i'm gonna cut yeah. this off <laughs> i would hey let me finish this out by saying back to the beginning here this yeah, is the I, best bike in the world because what the what harley's answer is to attracting new customers may be something they've already tried but investors have freaked out before they give it a chance to really work yeah and rather than coming up with a whole new platform to try to save the company they may have this platform 
already, but they haven't been able to put the money into the styling and the design, the philosophy, the marketing, the just the, all the things to make a what's what Harley needs is a very simple, affordable, roadworthy, sort of more modern sportster. They, Harley needs a better sportster to yeah. save the company, and they kind of already have one. But it's been overlooked. And that's why this is best bike in the world this week. Because if you take this bike and make a few tweaks to the styling and here and there, you could have the answer. You could have the thing that people will walk in, look at all the flashy stuff, and then leave with. The funny part about what you're saying. Given a chance. Well, the funny part about what you're saying is that bike is exactly what you're saying compared to the 750 when the street came out, they did those tweaks that everyone wanted, although it's Harley and they had, like I told Larry, or maybe everyone is on, they, the new pictures of the new tracker were released. It's got the same motor as the Bronx. And I said, you know, it looks like the FTR 750 looks like they had a lawyer at Indian look at it. He fucked it up a little bit and said, okay, we're good. The street, whatever, street tracker thing that Harley just released looks like it had 15 fucking teams of lawyers fuck it up before it got out. (laughs) And that to me is like the street 750. What you're saying is like, make these little tweaks, but that's, you got to think like that bike is the bike that they tweaked. They took a bike and tweaked it into that to do exactly what you're saying. But we're talking about a company that's we're talking about a, a company that's trying to redo its entire image. It's not going to yeah. happen the first try. Well, it's going to take agree with five you, tries where, at it. Where the, the investors won't give it a chance. And there's no one, again, knowing too much and knowing some of these people that do these things. Like, <laughs> let, me, come full let, me just, many, let me just put a, a different spin on this. When, okay. you look at, when you look at the price of this bike and just the performance numbers... It it's is extremely competitive with the V7, and it kind of fits into the same role. Forget it's a very the V7. Torquey. It's almost competitive with like the XSR 900. I was just going to say 700, 700. Yeah, 700, the 700 yeah, say, yeah. Maybe the what 7 it, and, the, and the MT-07. Right. Now, what makes it the best bike this week is that, A, it's a Harley-Davidson that Harley-Davidson doesn't know that they have that basically does stacks up better to me than the, um, it's in a class of its own because it's a little bit sportier than the Vulcan S and it's a little bit more cruiser than some of those other retro uh, bikes from Yamaha and Honda and stuff like that. It's in this class of its own and Harley doesn't realize what they have right there in their hands. So if you, if you look at it from that perspective and then you look at all the people who would love to have that kind of bike but they really have to fit in with the Harley faithful. Or if you're, you know, if you're an Indian, if you're in India where it's either you have to have a Royal Enfield or a Harley, it kind of, it does the same things as those, which is all it needs to do and be a Harley Davidson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why isn't this bike flying off the shelves at Harley Davidson? <laughs> well, probably because they don't have it out on display. Yeah, well, they, they try I, I, to pretend they don't have them. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, every account I've heard, people go in and they say, oh, you like that 750? Let me show you this soft tail over here or this used Dyna. Well, and I, Pete hit it on the head with the investors thing because I was around when they were when they did do the big push on that bike and it lasted about three months and it was a fucking joke. 
because one of the big pushes they did on that bike was our hooligan racing and how they did it through all of us was shit. It was, it was a fucking waste of time and money. Um, and it just, it, it was over before it even started really. Like you said, they never gave it a chance and they never really put in the effort to make it anything. You know, they said, Oh, this is the next big thing. And it was like, before it even had a chance to hit the dealership floors, they almost killed it. You so, know what? This bike would have crushed if we didn't have a dealer sales model and we just had a direct sales model. If this was yeah, sold like absolutely. Tesla's were sold, this would crush. And if you just had, if you were able to sell Harleys outside of a Harley dealership and not just when they're used or brought in for a trade in. Yeah. You have this sitting on the showroom, even next to my SCR. And, you know, like it's it'd be hard to pick. It's I, very I, SCR nine hundred or nine five. I would sorry. I would definitely have this over an SCR. Yeah, me too. Sorry. Oh shit! Oh, sorry, <laughs> it's, it's, staring, it's looking at me right now, staring. I just gave me a dirty look. <laughs> yeah. Well, for the yeah. first thing is the four valve. I know what Wiggs is talking about about the two cam chains. It's like they couldn't figure out a way to do the a fat sprocket at the bottom. But I mean, all that aside, like it's a pretty good design. I think, you know, it's not bad. And honestly with the, the way they did the heads, it was honestly kind of simple because it was one casting with the exhaust port on different heads and the way the injection was was very central. Yeah. I mean, they did some things where you're like, Oh, okay. Very simplistic, very manufacturing based, which being in manufacturing myself, I tend to agree with. Um, you know, so many people want to complicate the manufacturing side of it and then they wonder why it's so fucking expensive. Um, but it, I don't know, maybe it was because they tried to push it with guys like me and we're like, Oh, this thing's going to be cool. And then it was just kind of lackluster in performance so many times. Right. But the best selling Hondas have always been lackluster in performance the best the best selling of everything i mean r the r3 is a fucking gold mine for yamaha yeah don't tell me that bike is anything but lackluster <laughs> right for sure for sure <laughs> yeah i mean it like i said for me it was like they they wanted to push it so hard and it was like you kind of said it was probably the investors or whatever the deal was but they almost killed it before it even got started and then they well, still had only... it all done and put it on the floors, but and the dealerships don't want to deal with them. They're, it's like the Buells, and they did. You know, honestly, they did the same thing with Eric Buell too. They had a That's decent motorcycle, even though it still had a Sportster motor, and the dealerships didn't want to push it. They just didn't want to give it a chance, even though. And don't get me wrong, I think Eric Buell's a mad genius, but I still think he's a genius. So and, yeah, uh, the point I was going to add to that, which you just brought up, which is. Um, yeah, they had. They also had to get the dealers on board, and yeah. you know the, you know corp in, corporate wise, they can potentially just turn on a dime, but they've built so much up through the 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 culture that spread through to the dealerships and to the buyers that cannot spin on a dime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So again, just for everyone out there that's Googling this, I just want to make sure one more time. We're talking about the street rod, not the street 750. Yeah. And they did. It was uh, when they went to the street rod, they went to 17-inch wheels front and rear. 
They did a little flat trackish tail. They actually changed the frame a little bit. They pulled the head tube angle in to make it more of a rideable bike and less of a shitty chopper. Yeah, this is the um, one with inverted forks. It's the one with double disc front brakes. It's got yeah. the things. It's it's a yeah. bike you wouldn't be ashamed to own, unlike the regular Street 750. The, yeah, the <laughs> right. only thing I don't like about that is the bar end mirrors because splitting lanes with bar ends is... Yeah, but I mean, if you live in California and split lanes, I don't even know why you're using mirrors anyway. Yeah, yeah. just chop but, And those are, those are it's things... It's a Harley, dude. Change. You're supposed to customize it. That's true. It, yeah, everything is allowed to be shit. <laughs> you can't go in with the oil change, or else uh, you, without coming out, you know, five hundred bucks in the hole for accessories. Yeah. Okay. Well, it I think we got this one pretty good, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think we we <laughs> yeah. we did this plus a couple other models that are <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's All move right. on to the next topic here. Um, I I don't need to start. We'll go with Swigs first. I want to talk about bikes that we've done a 180 on either bikes that we loved or hated and then just completely over the years just turned around okay so this is going to be a little bit tough to admit um but after thinking about the last time i rode it and kind of really looking at the specs and the price and everything i'm kind of I've, I have now turned the corner on the, um, <coughs> sorry, you know, I can't even say it. I can't do it. We had an April fools lined up, but I, I can't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, we were going to, I was going to say we, uh, we turned the corner on the Nikon, but no, no, that's, I, I'm, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well uh, played. <laughs> so a real bike that I have turned the corner on from, uh, good to bad is the Yamaha SR 400, the new one. Ah, cause that was a bike that looking at it initially it looked awesome sitting on it. Everything felt right. There was kind of a little bit of charm with it, with the, uh, with the kickstart only, but it having fuel injection, there's all these little things that came together, even having like the little sight glass to be able to see that the bike was at top dead center, like little things that all kind of fit as this really cool sort of premium retro bike. But then after uh peter after you rode it and then after i rode it just ha seeing that it had like is it something like 17 foot pounds of torque yeah <laughs> out of a modern 400 17 and a half yeah, is it modern boring. though did the motor did they update the motor uh, they Barely. put the sight glass for the top dead center i don't think they actually updated the motor i think they just put they a just fuel, fuel injector, injector on, on it right yeah they, they put yeah they put the fuel injector for an air sensor and a, and a cleaner box in there that's it pretty much it's it's remarkable if you put it next to one of the 500 motors there's it's so similar right and it was kind of meant to be this cool thing that you could mod and update and do all sorts of things with which, as a very simplistic bike, makes a lot of sense. But but they only made like 4,000 of them. 
So it doesn't really work in that regard because there's nothing that's going to be specific to that bike. So you're only going to have universal parts that you could mod it with or whatever you could fabricate yourself. Well, and people buying a cheap single cylinder 400 that's air cooled don't have enough money to mod their bike. Well, there's that, but also it's not really all that cheap. It's about two thousand dollars more expensive than it should be, because one of the one of the uh, few new things they made were retro styled exhausts that they had to hand bend. So, well, it price wise, you know, the economics of it didn't work out at all. Especially if you're going to mod a bike, why would you put? you know, a $1,500 exhaust or a $900 exhaust on a $7,000 bike when it could have just been like a five and a half thousand dollar bike. Yeah. yeah. For a thousand dollars less, you can get a CB 300 R, which will kick its ass. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or probably a rebel 350 then, right? 300. Yeah, but the, yeah. Yeah. The rebel 300, 300 same motor. Yeah. thousand yeah. dollars less destroys it. Yeah, that was one of my main problems with the 400 because I really, I love SR, SRs, period. I love the 500s. I love the 250s, obviously. And I really thought about getting one of those because I know in Japan there there was a huge, there has been a huge uh, kind of cult following over there. So I know there's a lot of parts for them over there. and But like you said, they only needed to make 4,000 because they probably still have 1,200 of them sitting somewhere uh, in a warehouse. You know what well, I mean? Also, the bike is it's weird because it's a little bit more legit than you think, because there's many parts of Asia where they just never stopped selling SRs. Yeah. The, you know, to us, it's the SR 500 is a classic vintage bike, but in like Taiwan, they were selling SR 500s essentially up until this or two fifties at least. And then in order to keep it viable, they had to make these changes. So it became the 400 just, so they could keep doing it because of worldwide emission things and whatever. Right. Well, so in Japan thought, too. Hmm. Are Americans dumb enough to buy this because it's the cafe racer boom. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. of course, and, and fortunately like almost no one fell for it. Well, even then, like, I don't think that the cafe racer boom is necessarily a bad thing. If that's what you want, and that's kind of your dream bike and the style that you're going for, then yeah, awesome. Make that bike, but do it in a way that makes sense. And this, the economics of this just doesn't work for anyone. Yeah, There's world bikes like the MT-125, which I wish would come over here, but we'll never see. At least we got the MT-03, right? There's the R3. There's stuff like that. The 400s. This one in particular was never going to come over because it's not a sport bike. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, the only reason that the Ninja 400s and the R3s and stuff sell is because they kind of look like the 650 version and they're also fun and cheap. They're freaking cheap. And no one's going to buy one of these things that looks looks cheap. Well, actually, it's a little bit more expensive than what it, I, I felt it was a little bit overpriced for what it was and what it was delivering. But the 400s in Japan have been that's been their like stock top um you know cc limit i guess and so i know they had these over in japan for a long time because i followed them before they came over here and when they came over here i was like oh wow but i was like yeah i'm not gonna bite on this a there's a reason people have 
uh, electric starts nowadays. I hated kicking stuff over. You know what I mean? Like kicking stuff over sucks, especially in the summertime and all your gear. So, yeah, but with I mean, fuel injection, it should start pretty easy. I know, but fucking so should just sitting on a bike and pushing a button. And What's I easier know. than that? I, I, I test rode one. I kicked it over and it went on the second kick. It required just a little. I, the first time I kicked it, it was totally cold. And I just kicked it to go, well, does it start in the first kick? And then the second time I gave it just a tiny bit of gas and it went right up and it was really easy. It was easier than kickstarting my old CB350. It, it felt like there was no resistance. You just move your foot. It was like kicking a Vespa. It just went and it was fine. So it wasn't that bad, but it was only there because they didn't have to put an electric start on it because this was a bike made for Southeast Asia, not us. And the whole reason that we got it was they were just like, let's see what happens. But otherwise, it's kind of a premium bike for Taiwan is basically what it is. But even premium bikes in Taiwan don't get electric start. So, yeah, let's move on a little bit. Um, who, who's got the next one? Uh, I'll go. There you go. Wait, <laughs> what, what, what's the bike you did 180 on? Uh, I think for me right now, it's the FTR 1200. Ooh. Oh, you hated that or loved it? I hated it. And now I love it. Okay. Give us your journey. So part of the reason I hated it was the, um, and, and it's also part of the reason I love it was when they did the prototype and it was what we knew was never going to be produced. Um, what part of what made me hate it was everyone like, dude, I'll buy it right now. And I'm like, no, you won't at that bike. It's going to be 30 grand. You're not going to buy that. Like you're just saying if it looked like that and was 10 grand, I'll buy it is what everyone was saying. People weirdly did though. They got so many pre-orders. Oh, but it, and I wonder how many people thought it was going to, I honestly, it came out looking exactly what I thought it was going to come out like, like, you knew the prototype wasn't what was happening. It was to build hype. It was to do something cool. I mean, and honestly, if you could, I mean, in, in a lot of States you could. So I hope there's a title on that FTR 1200 and I hope someone has it because it's fucking rad. Like an FTR 750 with a rad street motor in it is pretty amazing, but it wasn't what was going to be produced for the street. You know, everyone's saying all this. And you also have to remember like, the circle I'm in and with the racing I'm doing, like that's where it kind of hit. And everyone's like, dude, I can't wait to race that. And I'm like, you're a fucking moron. So that was a lot of like what made me hate it was just how dumb people were about it. Um, and because of the role and stuff and everything, like with what we're doing with the racing, trying to keep it cheap and then seeing these like brand new bikes come in that they're like 40 grand dumped into. I was like, this is fucking lame. But honestly, right now it's, it's, if I was in the market to go buy a new motorcycle and I'm not, it's towards the top of the list. I mean, the KTM super Duke 1290 is ahead of it for sure, but I think it's a bitch and bike. It's a decent price point. You know, it's not nine grand. It's what they start at 13 or 14, but that's pretty common right now. Um, a super Duke's probably 19. Although the, the nicer one jumps up a couple grand but it's got good ergonomics. It's got a pretty decent motor. That's not going to be high maintenance, but it's still a fun to ride makes plenty of horsepower, plenty of torque. 
Um, it's not super, super heavy, but it's not super light. It's kind of a good middle of the road. I, to me, it's an expensive, more powerful Ducati scrambler. Um, and if I was in the market for a Ducati scrambler and wasn't stuck on that budget, it would be a very good comparison and a very good, like, okay, let's take a look at this bike, you know? And I, I think it's got the sex appeal. Um, you know, it's got a lot of good stuff in a, in a modern bike and a good price point. And again, a lot of people aren't going out buying a 200 horsepower sport bike with Brembo's and all this stuff. Cause it's not what they want in a motorcycle. So I think it fits a group for a lot of people. I, the wheel size confuses me and I hope there's some decent tires out there for it. Cause I'm sure those flat track tires on it that come on it are hard and are way more of a street tire with a flat track tread. But you know, I think I've seen them with 17s on them and they look super bitching too. So I don't know. That was kind of the, the 180 on it, but. I had to go beat a chupacabra out of my yard, but did you just say that you liked an Indian? Ah, right. So is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, I do. No Holy jokes. God. I like it. It's a good, especially trying to be unbiased about it. I like it more, but you know, fuck it. I mean, back to the street 750 or street rod 750. And even that new flat tracker that they just released. I'm like, you guys are getting fucking hammered by Indian right now in the, in the new bike department. So, yeah. um, and, and if you listen Bronx to Pan America anyway, unless they put the numbers on the Bronx and Pan America, like the Japanese, like, I mean, honestly, the Bronx, the Bronx only what the 875 or 900, it's not got the 1200 motor. It's but a to me, if it doesn't compete with a fucking Duke, then what's it? Yeah. Doing? It's, it's going to have a 975. And I think the Pan America is going to have a 1275 or 1225. And they're going to supposedly be modular, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Well, supposedly they modular. are the same motor except for the cans. Okay. So supposedly That's they will, the there will five hundred and seven fifty R two. Supposedly there will be a nine hundred and a twelve seven five model of each of them at some right. point. At least right. that's what they said two years ago Correct. when they were talking about the the new bikes. But that's will the twelve seven five even compare to say that they had a twelve seven five in the Bronx? Is it even going to be comparable to a Super Duke 1290? I think probably it would be, not. I think the numbers that I've heard on them for the 975 feel very Ducati to me. It's lower horsepower, but it's big torque. And that could be, I mean, I had an yeah, S2R 1000 Ducati Monster. At this point, it's a 13-year-old bike. I wonder if the Bronx would compare to that. I heard the Bronx is supposed to be something like 109 horsepower and like at the crank, you know, like 81, 82 foot pounds of torque. It's almost identical numbers to to my Superhawk. That's not and bad. I, was, I think even I was like I like the sound of that. Yeah. Even like styling and brand wise, I don't think either of those bikes really fit in as a flat tracker. And I think that in a couple years, well, probably within a year we're going to start seeing prototypes and uh, concept images for a new dedicated flat tracker from Harley based uh, on that motor. Well, we already did for a street one, right? Or you mean a race one uh, for a flat tracker? A competition right. works bike. Uh, Those yeah. have to be um, 
750. Yeah, that's the problem with that is the motors are too big. For uh, they, they can scale yeah. it down. They could. They could. Um I mean it kind of sucks to shrink a motor almost 200 cc's or 250 actually. No, I think but... they'll they'll do something similar to what they <laughs> did with the V-rod and they'll get somebody else in to build the motor and then they will modify an existing frame and kind of bodge it together initially and well, then refine it into a bike. They could. Like I mean Indian did. Well, Indian just designed a bike from the ground up. Harley um tried to do that, but they trusted a drag racer to figure out how to get traction on dirt. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as a frame goes for a full on race bike, the only, um, really frames that are from a factory are the Indians. And I don't know who actually designed those. The XR seven fifties were, um, the frames weren't Harley. They were all aftermarket manufacturers. All you ever bought from yeah, Harley was like Kawasaki. All those guys pretty much run. They're all framers, right? Oh yeah, I mean, the Kawasaki's definitely framers. But even Harley's, right. everyone thought was Harley's. There weren't. They were CNJs and everything else too. But I think um, what you're going to see is that Harley is, especially what we've seen over the last five years, they're going to start getting away from, and they've really been doing this for quite a while. They've been slowly testing the waters and getting away from the the made in america brand in order to be able to do these things yeah i mean you know paying union wages and i'm not saying it's a bad thing but paying union wages at the manufacturing plant hurts them um you know just like it's also hurting ford and chevy and I don't want to say that's exactly what's hurting them. I think that's a whole other conversation about economy and wealth and distribution, but you know, that makes their motorcycles are three or four grand more than anything else. Uh, everyone thought it was because of a name and it kind of is, that's how they were able to charge it, but it, that's why they had to charge it. But I think for a race bike, I think it's different. I mean, obviously the XG has performed lackluster on a racetrack. Um, even the bikes that are doing good in the quote unquote production class, if you look at the pictures, they shouldn't be passing tech, but because it's Harley Davidson and Terry Vance, they somehow get away with it because the bikes and production twins are supposed to have stock heads from the factory. Um, you can port them, you can polish them, you can do all that, but it was supposed to be a stock casting. <clears throat> and if you look at pictures of, uh, the two guys last year, um, Gutier and I don't remember who the other guy was they're not production heads. So um, are you telling me that somebody is cheating, cheating in, in motorsports? <laughs> no, they're not cheating. They're, pay- they're not cheating at all. They're paying to bend the rules. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at the marketing with all that, because Harley's starting to push and Vance and Hines is starting to push the production class, right? Cause they want to quote, win a fucking race, but they can't. So they're basically starting and pushing this production twins class so they can actually win something. All right. They were I got like, well, to put in here because the name of this episode is going to be all roads lead to Harley because oh. we can't talk <laughs> about anything without getting to Harley. Davidson. <laughs> so uh, we were talking about how God. much you decided you hated and then loved the Indian FTR. Just, just yeah. to remind everyone, you know, it's a song as a, about Alice. As a street bike, so. I, I don't want to push <laughs> it as a, as a street tracker, but as a, as a purely fun, um, relatively budget-friendly street bike, 
you know, if you're not a hundred percent focused on numbers, like a, cause that, uh, to me, that would be a KTM super Duke. I think the FTR 750 is a good one. That's out right now. Um, and the Bronx, gonna, we have wait to, yeah, we have yet to see. Yeah. I'm going to change Wiggins, name in the chat to Matt Levitich since all roads lead to Harley was his baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's next? Has Pete gone yet? He is not. All right, I'll go before Pete because I don't want to. I don't want to have to follow someone who's well spoken. Sorry, <laughs> I had to step out for I'm, a second there, guys. I don't know what you're talking about. I had to go plug in my yeah, laptop. I, I was about to die. Perfect. I had to chase a chupacabra out of my yard a second ago, so I didn't know what you guys were talking about either. But okay. uh, I'm going to say the bike that I have turned the corner. From from good to bad, and maybe back to good is yeah, the uh, way. the R twelve hundred GS for me. Um, when I first was introduced to BMWs through my work, I was super impressed with how this is back when they were still the eleven fifty. Uh, I was so impressed with how much how capable they seemed and how much technology BMWs had on them, and then working with bmw um you know data and seeing how how the type of stuff that they're doing and the the first uh the first to to market to public market imu with the s1000 double r and then they put all that they start throwing all this stuff on the 1200 as well that it's also one of their only bikes that can ride itself that happened a couple of years ago right but in reality, when I when I've gone to sit on these things, a to find anything out about them is terrible. Every European manufacturer does this. KTM does it, I'm sure, and I'm sure Ducati might do this to some degree. But they don't really go by years, which is really a bummer, and it's annoying as a consumer to figure out what year you have. You have to buy it and then give them a VIN, and they'll tell you what that is. So my whole my whole thing with BMW starts right at the beginning with how they. Um, how they work as a company, I guess. And then their marketing, you guys are just do, talking about Harley forever. You know, these things are marketed as BA um, off-road bikes. And I was so enamored with them at first and all the farkles that they came with. Cause I had never, I, you know, ADV to me is like, I don't do it. So when I saw all this stuff, I was like, Oh, ADV is rad. And I, I joined ADV rider and was like looking up all this stuff about these KTA or uh, the BMWs. And then I went and sat on one. And when my feet were three feet from the ground, <laughs> I was super bummed out. Not only is it like that with the uh, R1200, but it's like that with this, the scooters for me. I sat on the this, the uh, C650 GT or whatever the hell they used to have. And my feet were like six inches off the ground on that thing. So I was like, hey, these things are so cool. They're lame, though, especially now that I know that everybody only rides them to the uh grocery store not the grocery store the coffee shop not even the grocery store all that pannier space and no groceries to be found inside but i really took a hard turn the only people i really feel ride gs's how they're intended to be is the people that are part of the uh like the gs trophy and the bmw motor uh motorrad group or whatever it was that that, that does like the off-road rallies like i don't know i just feel like i was enamored with these bikes and uh got to know them and I still like them for their technological standpoints and all the crazy stuff that comes on them. But like we talked about Pete the other day, these things, 
start at 17, but <laughs> once you walk out, they're freaking Goldwing territory, right? Because oh, yeah. you can't, yeah, you can't just leave with a $17,000 bike. You've got to add 89,000 different things. And now that BMW has their, um, shoot, I should have paid better attention when they announced this. They, they have that like aftermarket, like M factory thing for motorcycles now too. And I'm sure it's not just for the S 1000 R I'm sure that the, uh, uh, 1200 GS has something or the 1250 now, but yeah, that's the other thing. I, I, I've watched these things evolve from air cooled to water cooled now. And like they've gone up in displacement about 150 CC since I first, um, started working with them and, uh, have watched like the stuff just grow and grow. And I've always wondered this, like with all the crazy stuff that they added, how sturdy were those frames? Um, and then I saw a Ewan McGregor break one when they were going, um, you know, a long way up, I think, or a long way down. I think it was. Well, that was the 1150. Okay. Mm. That was so, the 1150 right. and that was long way round. Long way round. Right. So you realize like, yeah, maybe, maybe they are all show and no go. I have, uh, you know, I really don't know, but it was one of the bikes that I was super enamored with. And then like, once I even tried to sit on one and I realized I was going to be like that guy that has to run next to it and then jump onto it. It's like, no, thanks. Like, Every stop sign, if it was out on the trails once in a while, sure. But every stop sign like that, no thanks. And then I found, you know, my 250 suits me just fine. So I'll stay <laughs> 1,200 cc or 1,000 cc's less, you know, for twice the fun. But yeah, that's one of the bikes that I was really enamored with from a technological standpoint. And uh, the fact that people seem to love them and, and the branding, everything about them, um, I think is done real well. But for me, they're just something that I look at and I'm like, man, they're not for me. And I know there's people that even track, you know, like one of the guys, Brian, that we talk to a lot, um, takes these and drags knee on them. Like they're a freaking sport bike, you know? And for some people they are, but just for me, I guess they're just the bike that I thought would be really cool to have until I got up close to it. And then I realized, you know, it's definitely not for me. It's, it's my turnaround, my 180. Well, I'll say for me, the jury is still out, but I know that Swiggy did a 180 turn from disliking to loving it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Swiggy, I'm erasing you from my friends list right now. Hang on one sec. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is the one thing about German engineering that I really just adore, which is when they finally get it right, because they always just stubbornly stick to one particular principle and make it work. And in BMW's case, that's the the flat twin with shaft drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Porsche with the rear engine. It's a dumb idea, but they refined it so much, it's almost perfect. Yeah. Right. And they do the same thing at BMW with the flat twin. And it's kind of... You also have to look at it a little bit from the perspective of the R1200GS is essentially BMW's um, Goldwing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that means I, that they do some silly things sometimes because that's what they innovate on. Right. Um, and now if you... So the one I rode was the R1200GS or the R1250GS. So the newest, yeah. The newest one. And something that you would probably really appreciate is the electronic suspension. Mm-hmm. 
And it's it's essentially an oil suspension that's got a pump on it. Mm -hmm. And through the display, you can raise and lower the suspension. They also have a lowering kit where they give it a a shorter side stand and I and they do something with the seat. Obviously, the seat. Oh yeah, there, there's a whole further. there's a whole yeah. separate model if you're a bit shorter. Yeah, well, well, like Pete, Pete said, and that's like another what five grand, Pete, or something. Like that. Oh <laughs> yeah, bill. and what? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You can give them five grand or a testicle. I mean, I think yeah. they're, they they take other forms of payment. Yeah. The actually the biggest objection I have with the twelve fifty GS is that you have to do everything through a screen. Mm. That's my biggest problem with it. Yeah, they did go from very complicated switches down to that little multi-controller like roller deal, right? I mean, that's the compromise I guess you made uh, there. I think that Yamaha is a bigger offender of that with the uh, with the Tracer. That's probably... that. Actually, the the tracer really pisses me off because you actually have to go through the TFT display with a with a rocker uh, input to be able to adjust the heated steering. Hmm. I mean, and to me, that's a major go fuck yourself. Yeah, at um, least there's not like a special stylus that you have to have. Like that'd be like the, the final straw. <laughs> Yeah, so you lose his stylus on the trail, and it's five hundred dollars yeah. from BMW. Yeah, yep, or from Yamaha. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in fairness, everything that you would do on the display with the GS, you you would do while stopped, which is fair to some degree. Uh, I'm still not a huge fan of it, but uh, well, for me, also- for me, the magic of it is how much they refined a flat right. twin oh. to just be so well behaved and to be yeah. so well balanced and for it to be shaft driven and to be counterbalanced so well that it feels like an inline four, but mm-hmm. has the torque of a V twin. It really is just so incredibly well refined that I don't Mm -hmm. think you can go wrong with it. Yeah, that's the thing. From a technological standpoint, looking at this thing, and I thought you were going to say they refined the the electronics and everything, because, you know, everything used to be hand-adjustable. Now everything's electronic-adjustable. I mean, the ESA has been around, I think, since it was an 1150, but, like, the windscreen, everything that you can adjust now is, like, all... Every single thing is is um, even the seat heater. You just have to get out there and put a sterno can underneath the back seat. Now everything is a switch, right? Everything's electronic on it, and the the uh, disengageable ABS for going off road. Like every single thing, the motor. Yeah, the motor. You're absolutely right. But I mean, they've even refined that thing down um, to the final can bus systems and and everything that like every aspect of that thing is is really refined. Maybe that's what I. I love about it, but it, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great bike, I'm sure. But I, I just, for whatever reason, I, that's why I'm saying I, I did a hard 180 is because I realized I'd never be able to enjoy all the stuff that they put into it. And it's a uh, quite, um, the four, uh, well, the predecessor to most other brands going, developing like off-road ABS and, 
even thinking about heated grips on bikes, you know, like it has mm-hmm. so much stuff that it came with um, from the factory that is now kind of standard on a lot of ADV bikes or bikes in general. And it's like, man, yeah, they really have refined this thing to the T, but at the same time, I'll never be able to enjoy that stuff. It's too much for my, I, I'm just, I'm such a cheap bastard. I could never, uh, I, I could, even if I got one, I probably couldn't allow myself to enjoy it. So I'll just, well, let me, let me, do, let me give you a, a plus one and a minus one in your favor here, which is, first of all, you can totally buy an 1150 GS for like $2,500 at the right time of year now. Mm-hmm. Like that's totally achievable. That's an opportunity for you. On the other hand, there is something about the premium adventure market that I think is being has been really lost in the last 10 years, which is a level of practicality in that if you are, you know, if you're crossing over Mongolia in your, you know, your world circuit, you know, if you need board repair on electronics to get your bike functioning the way you need it to function, it's probably not a great idea to have picked that bike. So in a way, you know, kind of the ideal you know, world tour adventure bike to a degree has to be treated like you're on a rocket ship to Mars. Like everything needs to be repairable in the moment with the tools you have on you. And to a lot, to a, to a large degree, the current year GS does not fit within that paradigm. All right. Swigs. I just cracked my sixth beer and I'm, uh, I've got the perfect way to interject here, which is with my bike that I've done a 180 on. Nice. Like the stars right. have aligned. I used to fucking hate the V Strom 1000. Wait, what? Okay. Yeah. I thought it was weird looking. I was like, why would you want a V-twin adventure bike? The weight's not low enough. It's fucking weird looking. It's not the BMW 1200. It's a cheap piece of crap. Who wants this thing? And about a year ago, I started turning the corner looking at these things. And here's the deal. You only get a BMW because you care about what other people think. If you really are just an off-road adventure person and you don't care what other people think, the V-Strom is absolutely the way to go. The if Africa you're really twin, an off-road person, why do you want a 1,000cc V-Twin? Because it's your only bike, right? That could be too. So it gets you so, there on the highway too. So the thing about the the BMW, yeah, the low the weights lower down, whatever. But off road riding supposed to be somewhat athletic anyway. Okay? And if you're really off road riding, what are you going to spend twenty grand on a bike? Well, that's well, you're the also. Thing. Do you know yeah, what okay. base MSRP is on a V Strom one thousand? Probably fucking eleven. It's thirteen. It's thirteen. But that is by far the cheapest 
like full size adventure bike. Yeah. And then do you know what the MSRP is on the most expensive V Strom one thousand you can get? Fourteen seven. Like that's for the ten fifty with with all the bells and whistles. Like the full deal. The only difference from it and all the options you get on the BMW is instead of all your your thing swigs, where you said you have to do everything through the screen, it has all the same adjustments. They're just manual adjustments on the bike itself. It has all the adjustments for the rear suspension, except instead of the bike automatically sensing them or you pressing the button on the screen, you manually do it remotely but you just press it on the bike. Like that's the difference. It, it the other really sweet thing about the, the V strom 1000, especially on the models from like the last six or the five last five or six years is, um, even if you compare it to the BM, the new BMW, which has variable valve timing, it's only two different cam settings. The, the current, V-Strom 1000 has continuously variable valve timing. Yeah, they use that little ramp system that the GSX-R1000 used, I think. That uh, yep. yeah. yeah. It's essentially GP technology. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, as you say, GP technology, also, I happen to know that the Suzuki V-Strom 1000 is the daily rider of MotoGP winner Alex Rins. Nice. It is. And here's the thing, like the 1050 XT, like I said, it's still like, uh, sorry, it's $14,800. Like I said, it's got all the things and it has super cool retro Dr. Big styling on it. Like it's everything you want. It's the cheapest one. And it's for the one that if you really get down to it is for probably the most serious people because then they can spend more money on like the luggage and their personal gear and all of that. And if you're really into it, crash it off road. Well, yeah, yeah. The crash bars, you're really riding off road. Yeah. If you're really riding off road, you're not going to be afraid to get it fucking dirty and all that shit. And let's be honest. No one's really all that precious about their V strong. Which is yeah. why you know it's the bike for serious people. You know what yep. else I really love about the V-Strom 1000? Is it's the same motor as the V-Strom 1050, but it's got way more years of uh, accessories built around that platform, that body style. And it really didn't change all that much. So there's a ton of stuff out there available. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the big adventure bike on a budget. If I was going to buy an adventure bike new, it's not even close. This is the one I would get. It's not even close. You know, it's kind of like the Kawasaki Concourse. This is an adventure bike that's future-proof because it's all still analog. Yeah. Yeah. And they do have a lot of good... I, I, I just thought about this. I haven't read Suzuki literature for a little bit, but there's always this like really cool stuff in their features pages where, yeah, they use the latest and greatest. Like you're saying, the variable cam uh, timing and the... the um, I don't know. They took a couple other things off sport bikes and slammed them onto this thing too. Something with like the intakes, I want to say, and like the the uh, ignition and all that stuff. I, they just... They take the best of and slam it onto their... Um, you know, this motor and this bike, they kind of just, it's a secret. It's like this ADV secret, I want to say. This was like a new bike when I started riding, but like I blinked my eyes. They've been making this thing for almost 20 fucking years. 
Yeah. It's pretty good at this point and for pretty fucking cheap in a world where adventure bikes means, you know, sort of boomer lifestyle, super expensive. Oh, I can afford to take off, you know, to afford to take four day weekends and do BDR routes and whatever. <laughs> it's nice that there's one that's still kind of meant for real world people, right? Yes. Well, it, yeah. It, and it, you're not yeah, talking it's like a great big bike that's, you know, approaching $15,000, but only approaching $15,000. And it's kind of for the rest of us. And it really does go toe to toe if you have the riding skill. And, and I feel like it's a little bit. Oh. It? Yeah. The I mean, people yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. love these. The cult, like, they are not many, but the Suzuki V Strom cult is proud. Yeah. It, and they're not as like clunky as the um, Super 10, you know, like this Yamaha Super 10 array. I feel like that's a parallel. Another, story, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's another hidden secret, um, you know, ADV bike that, you know, gets overlooked a lot. But for one, but I don't think it really compares to the to the V-Strom. Yeah, it's not quite as economic. It, it's trying to be Yamaha's like all electronics bells and whistles, but on a little bit mm-hmm. more of a budget. It's it's a mid-range option where the, the V-Strom is unapologetically at the bottom. But if you buy one of these new, it is a nice bike. I sat on one at um, MotoGP last year. And I'll tell you what, like, it's a nice bike. Um, and there's a good another, amount of, a... of serious accessories for them because, like you said, they've been around forever with little to no changes. And the people that buy them are usually pretty serious about what they do with them. So people are making the good accessories for them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The 10 and the 1050 or the 1000 and the 1050 are both 1037 motors, but the 1000 has. 20 something years well i don't know about uh, that many on that specific frame but i mean they got way more years in the bag as far as like people that have been making stuff i'm sure tour tech and sw motec and any any of those people that are uh, like twisted throttle or whatever the hell makes all the accessories for them i'm 100 sure that these have a ton of stuff out there where the new one's going to take a while to get that built up yeah yeah i'm a fan i for me like I'm I'm like a year and a half, two years away from buying a new motorcycle, and it's almost like, ooh, well, if I make that short list of bikes I would consider buying new, there's this, there's a new Goldwing, there's the Kawasaki Concourse. I feel like if you threw uh, like 17s on a um, V-Strom too, you could maybe get away with taking it to the um, <laughs> the uh, Super Moto Track. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you can edit. You can edit that out. <laughs> yeah, you, you say that there is something almost a little supermoto about the look of it. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really attract me to it. the The looks and the cosmetics have really nothing to do with it for me. It's more about the philosophy of the machine, which I feel is much more in line with me than say like the the Triumph Tiger or the Africa Twin. You know, and I'm a Honda guy, and I'm even like, nah, the Africa Twin doesn't speak to me like this does because this is yeah, pure. This is pure function. This motorcycle, where the so Africa I, Twin has a lot of styling. To me, there's I something feel... to be said too about the fact that it's been around so long. I mean, 
not to be all hipster bike or whatever, but since before anyone gave a shit about ADV, you know, the only people really doing ADV bikes 10 years ago was BMW, the Triumph Tiger and that. So to me, it almost puts it in that elite class of ADV bikes because 10 years ago, that's all there was for ADV bikes. I don't know. I want to say the Versus was around 10 years ago. The Versus was. So I feel like, you know, when it comes to adventure bikes, there's really two directions you can go, which is the absolute tippy top of uh, premium, and go. And that's with, what I think Wiggins is getting at. Like, like those definitely yeah. were the ones that he mentioned were the top of the crop, cream of the crop. Yeah, you can either go with the BMW or you can go with the KTM, or you have to go with rock bottom. Those are the only two options. There's no reason to go for middle of the road. And especially with when you think about what you really need for going around the world, you know, it's a Japanese bike. So the reliability factor and being able to source parts is going to be fantastic, especially with how long the bike has been going and just how many parts cross models. But also the most important things when you're doing a world tour or any kind of long distance ride end up not being that expensive, but they end up being very important. It's little add-ons like where you put your phone on the handlebars or where you can fit something to charge all of your electronics or what little piece of gear that just, you know, what little widget just solves all your problems. And that's not tied to the bike. For a lot of people. So in a way, when there's so many contenders for that flagship adventure model, but this just comes in at that bottom barrel price, but it's super reliable. It serves a huge market. Right. Yep. And it has it has all the good bells and whistles, similar to the BMW that we were talking about, years of refinement, but it doesn't brag about it it doesn't fart and then wave it up into your face to tell you you know it must be mentioned because another best bike in the world that i did was the honda veradero oh wow yeah a similar (laughs) similar displacement similar style motorcycle but the problem was is that honda didn't commit Right, they they took the uh, the super hawk engine basically and thought let's make a v-twin adventure bike to uh, compete with the V-Strom, which had already been around for 10 years. And then promptly everyone went, oh, no, thanks. We'll just keep buying V-Stroms. Thank you. And even Honda had to back away from the V-Strom for almost another eight years until they came out with the Africa, redoing the Africa twin. This is the, the Suzuki V-Strom 1000 is so good that it scared Honda. And that's that's the last thing I'll say about it. You can edit that out too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we've all done our bikes there. How much time are we at? Geez, almost an hour we're 40. At, um, yeah, we're at 138. So and then let's see what here. no one knows is that hour getting set up. Right. Now, <laughs> do we want to do any emails or anything like that, or do we just want to call this good? Unless anyone's else got anything else. 
I just wrote this big long thesis while we were. Oh no, I'll, I'll save it for another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like we can save emails for another week. We haven't got a crazy amount, but we've got some good ones. But we, we can leave that till next week. And we should do the world's worst outro in the meantime. <laughs> well, we could do the world's worst outro. I'm just trying to think as uh, we sit here. Also, I'm many beers in. In fact, you know what? Let me crack another one. Just because I feel like the uh, the sound quality on this episode versus last week is going to be so much better. I'm going to crack a yeah. beer on microphone, which I never do. And let's say that next week people can expect to hear another episode from us, probably in this format. Maybe not all the same cast members, but maybe also. Who knows? Like, didn't Misfits this week have to do a uh, a reissue of an episode? And and uh, Cleveland uh, Long well? yeah, Long Lost from the Vaults was one, and Cleveland Moto did it by Zoom. So that seems to be everybody seems to be doing it by Zoom nowadays. I refuse to do it by Zoom. I'm not. I, I don't feel that podcasting should have any crossover with YouTube. I'm just against that. I think it betrays the format. I'm not. I, I don't like it. But whatever. Yeah. Um, also, Zoom sounds horrible. Although I did listen to Cleveland Moto, and I listened to him while I was riding the Goldwing around the mountains, and you know, it was fun. It wasn't real motorcycle heavy on the content. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But you know what? It, it, it fulfilled its duty, which was to keep me distracted while I had nothing else going on. So good for them. They're doing their job. And for us, I guess now there's really nothing left to say, except everybody should stay safe, stay tuned, keep fighting or fucking the dragon. The dragon. And perfect tens. And... <laughs> motorcycles and motorcycles yeah yeah get get the largest drill bit you got just carve a hole in the side of that seat and uh you know go to town in there and go to town so oh shit i think my sound effects have quit on me no they haven't here we go all right you guys ready to try to sing the outro and this is gonna be terrible let's do it because we started here we go everyone (laughs) Oh wait, no. No, nope. sorry, sorry. I had to unplug it and plug it uh, the charge. Oh right. wow! While he while he's getting the soundtrack uh, sound effects ready, I will say that if you do listen to the motorcycles and misfits episode that was from the archives this week, they interview the stunt man that jumped his motorcycle over his six month old daughter for the movie Night Riders. Yeah, suck it, fight the dragon. There we go. And I don't want to die. die. I just want to ride, wanna ride on my, my motor side. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah.